Thank you for joining us for our first podcast ever. We are excited to finally launch our series. My name is Emily Davenport, and I am the founder and executive director for the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Alliance. Our mission is to elevate the care and protection of Rocky Mountain wildlife by fostering a sense of community and collaboration among wildlife professionals. Continuing education and training is a critical component of our mission. Our goal is to launch several dynamic, easy-to-use continuing education initiatives for 2018. This will hopefully encourage wildlife professionals to collaborate and engage in furthering their education and training. Our continuing education is designed for wildlife professionals, like rehabilitators, educators, and veterinary staff who can't find enough hours in their day to further their education or can't afford to spend money on conference fees, flights, travel, or to leave their nature center or rehab center. Most wildlife professionals don't have time to sift through literature reviews or research or veterinary journals or to sit through hours of training videos. We have designed our content for the busy wildlife professional on the go, so you can learn while you're driving to your center, or working on reports at your desk, or making dinner, or walking the dog. We will offer these classes both in person and online. And in addition, we have created accompanying handouts and podcasts like this one that complement the classes and can be used internally with staff, volunteers, and interns. We believe helping wildlife professionals experience learning in their preferred format and at their own pace results in better educational outcomes, including increased understanding and retention. It is a part of our mission to help make continuing education more affordable and accessible so that more individuals can participate and become even more effective caregivers. I thought there was no better way to kick off the year and kick off the series than with some tips. Think of these tips as tips that are worthy of consideration in 2018. To make it onto my list, they had to pass a certain criteria. One, they had to universally be helpful to all in the field. They also had to be important constants based on my experience working as an educator. And lastly, they had to be meaningful to me. I collaborated on these tips with a wonderful educator named Deborah Sykes with the Nashville Wildlife Conservation Center, and I'm going to keep these tips in the forefront of my mind this year. These tips are in no particular order. They're in no order of priority, I swear. And I hope that you will talk about these with staff and volunteers and add to them as the year goes on. So here we go. These are the 12 tips every wildlife educator should know. Tip number one, make a lesson plan. It's really important to be prepared as an educator. We have to exude professionalism, and creating a lesson plan can help you do just that. Creating a lesson plan can help you prepare, so consider adding specific considerations to it that help you plan. Considerations for the program would be age level of the public. Is this going to be a program for adults or small children? What about the time of day? Is this an evening presentation or a morning presentation? What about the location or the amount of travel? This may determine what animals you're going to be able to bring with you for that program. Also think about considerations like weather. Do you have a weather contingency plan? What if this is an outdoor program or has a mountain location? 
What happens if it rains or snows? These are all important considerations that you have to think about when you're building your own lesson plan. It's also, of course, critically important to have your key messages in there. What are your goals of the program? What do you want the public to learn? What do you want them to get out of your program? And by making a quick outline with some basic objectives, um, a few lecture points, and a few activities will really help you plan that presentation. And of course, you can always add materials needed and considerations for the animal ambassadors as well. Some animals may do better outside. Others may do better during the day versus evening. So those are all things you can build into your lesson plan. A thoughtfully devised lesson plan really helps you stay on track and accomplish your goals. For a sample lesson plan, you can visit our website at www.rmwalliance.org. Tip number two, know your audience. There is no one-size-fits-all when presenting to the public. I have seen highly qualified educators give a college-level lecture to five-year-olds. And as you can imagine, within 10 minutes of presenting, they've completely lost the entire group and they're running all over the place. So it's really important to tailor your program to your audience. Every age group learns differently, especially with children. So creating a dynamic game that gets preschool-aged children engaged is a great idea. There may be other games and activities that are great for first graders, but probably won't go over well with the middle school crowd. Learning isn't one size fits all, so knowing your audience and planning ahead is really important. And this will simply ensure that you and the group you're teaching has fun. Number three, pick a teaching style that works best for you. Just as everyone learns differently, each educator has an ideal teaching style. Some feel more comfortable speaking to adults, while others prefer interacting with children. Again, I know people that are excellent at presenting at universities in a more formal, academic way, but they are not at all comfortable teaching preschool-aged children, for example. They fumble over their words, they get lost in the details, and you know what? That's okay. I also know educators that are more comfortable teaching children. They have a carefree, fun, and more abstract approach to teaching, but get really nervous in front of adults. That's also okay. If you're not comfortable giving a lecture-style program, then create a playful, experience-oriented session and just have fun. Or do a combination. Give a short talk and then head outside for a birding walk or a nature walk. Understand your best teaching style and go with it. That's the most important thing. Then we have tip number four. Not everyone has the same access to nature. School funding is mainly dependent on the property taxes in that area. If it is a low-income area, that school does not receive much funding. For example, Title I provides $14 billion a year to account for schools in need. However, there are over 45,000 schools on that list, spreading the money out so thin that it still leaves these schools with little to no resources. These schools don't have the money to have a field trip to the park, get new library books, or bring in special guests like us. They depend on their community for help, and we are that community. Consider providing programs to all children, regardless of their school's ability to pay. There are actually grants out there specifically for this. And remember, our programs are often a young child's first introduction to the natural world. We want people of all ages 
to understand the importance of respecting and protecting wild animals and wild places everywhere. Number five, volunteer at your local nature center. Nature centers are terrific, often untapped resources for wildlife educators like us. No matter how long you've been an educator, you can always learn from others. Volunteering with experienced naturalists can even help you and your organization succeed on many levels. And training, it's usually free. Believe me, you'll benefit greatly from volunteering, plus you'll make vital connections to other nature lovers who may be perfect for assisting you and your organization's mission. Number six, be sure your selected animal ambassador is fit for education. This is a tip that is deeply important to me personally. Our animal ambassadors are providing an important service by living out the rest of their lives in captivity and repeatedly appearing before large groups of people in the name of conservation. Remember, to most of the animals in our care, humans are predators. We are scary. Our mere presence can be terrifying to them, and it's critically important to weigh the benefit of training and conditioning an animal with the amount of stress we are inflicting on them. Captivity is unnatural. There are strange sights and sounds and smells that an animal must get used to. This can be incredibly stressful if you are not choosing an animal from the beginning that has a naturally calm personality and isn't showing severe signs of stress. Considerations of animal ambassadors should start with a naturally calm animal that isn't showing any signs of panic or retreat every time a human is near. It is our responsibility to make sure they are treated respectfully to avoid any needless stress. That begins with choosing an animal that is right for education. Okay, so we're about halfway through our list. Let's do a quick recap, shall we? Number one, make a lesson plan to help you prepare. Number two, know your audience. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all program. Number three, pick a teaching style that works best for you. Number four, not everyone has the same access to nature. Number five, volunteer at your local nature center. And number six, be sure your selected animal is fit for education. All right, we're about halfway through with our tips and let's move on to number seven. Make sure your animal is ready for its first audience. This one is also very important to me. It's always exciting to start training a new animal for a program. When you're confident that your animal ambassador is ready, be sure to do some practice runs first. Take it to a nature center on a slow day or invite some friends over for a demonstration. Less is definitely more in the beginning when you are training an animal. Make sure you always proceed slowly. And if your animal looks stressed or is constantly trying to get away, it's not ready for an audience. Now don't get me wrong, it's okay to explain to the public that you have a new ambassador and that this is its very first presentation or one of its first presentations. But be careful. When an animal is stressed in front of the public, it doesn't make the presenter look very good. And in fact, it really does a disservice for all of us in the field when the animal is obviously stressed. If your animal is uncomfortable, do not bring it in front of the public. In addition, avoid choosing an animal that is molting or shedding as it may feel vulnerable and thus sensitive to handling. Plus, they really don't look their best. There's nothing more that makes me cringe when I'm viewing a presentation than when an animal ambassador appears disheveled or is molting. I once went to a presentation where an eastern screech owl was on display and he was molting. 
As you know, many screech owls are clump molters, so this poor bird looked awful. He was missing most of his feathers on his head. His plumicorns were missing. It was a daytime presentation, so his eyes were squinty or closed, and it just he just really looked terrible. And while it may offer an educational opportunity to teach the public about molting, most people will simply take away that that animal did not look well. So really, I advise against it. If your birds are molting, don't take them out into public. The animal's comfort should always come first. Number eight, offer natural objects for participants to examine and touch. A responsible educator never lets people touch an animal ambassador. It may also be your state law. Educational programs provide a great opportunity for you to remind the public that wild animals are wild and they need to be respected, which includes no petting or touching. Now, of course, there's exceptions. I know several educators that use domestic animals like rabbits and guinea pigs, for example. That is okay. Those are animals that are appropriate to be handled and touched. Even some reptiles are appropriate for that. But never, ever should a bird of prey be put in that position. Instead, as educators, we can offer some natural objects for folks to safely examine and touch. Think of things like a turtle shell or feathers, a snake skin, animal mounts or pelts. Anything like that is really good to use. Allowing people to handle such things helps them make memorable connections to the natural world. And remember, if you plan to inventory feathers or pelts or mounts, you must have the proper U.S. Fish and Wildlife Permit. Number nine, a picture is worth a thousand words and maybe dollars. Photographs can help immensely to illustrate the impact your wildlife organization is making and can increase donations and help with booking more events. Assign someone to take photos at your event. It can be somebody like a volunteer or a friend or even the event coordinator themselves. Capturing the look of awe and delight on the faces of program participants is what it's all about. There's nothing better than when the participants see your animal ambassador for the first time. And getting a picture of that can be critically important to your success. Along the same lines, think about the type of message you want to send to the public. Photos should show animals that are genuinely comfortable with well-groomed beaks, talons, fur, and feathers. And should also show educators using proper handling techniques. Along the same lines of what we've already discussed, if a snake is shedding or a raptor is molting, do not bring them out into the public. And it should go without saying that if you are going to have a bird of prey in front of the public, please, please make sure that that bird's beak is coped. It really troubles me when I see educators display a bird of prey that is in desperate need of a beak trim. If they are not in perfect condition, we really shouldn't be using them. As a wildlife educator, it's our duty to take care of our wildlife ambassadors, and any image of poorly groomed or visibly distressed animals really discredits us all, especially in today's fast-paced world of social media. So please avoid that, and please avoid any photos of people cuddling or kissing animal ambassadors, as this only encourages people to do those sort of things with other wild animals. Number 10, ask questions. Get your audience interested in your animal or nature topic by asking them questions during your program. You'll naturally invoke their curiosity, which will further engage them and increase their interest. It engages their mind when you can ask them questions like, what kind of bird do you think this is? 
What do you think this mammal eats? What's its favorite food? That sort of thing. It helps engage the public, both children and adults. This tactic works just as well for tree identification as it does for bird watching. So I highly recommend using this technique. I personally love nothing more than to make a group of small children and adults say large, difficult words. It's one of my favorite things. So for example, when talking about great horned owls, I always ask the public to say uh, difficult words. So we'll talk about how a great horned owl is crepuscular. And then I will turn around and say, can everybody say the word crepuscular? And it always brings a smile to my face because almost everybody has a difficult time saying it. I love it. Anyway. Number 11, create a support system. Not sure how to get started as a wildlife educator or need more support as an existing educator? Get networking. Surround yourself with positive people and a positive network of friends, family, and professionals who support you and your mission. Check your state's regulatory site for helpful information about becoming a licensed educator as well. Consider joining organizations like the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Alliance or other professional organizations. This will help ensure your continuing education and a network of support. And lastly, number 12, work together. No matter how many other nature and wildlife educators and organizations are out there, remember, there is no such thing as competition in this profession. When like-minded people work together, we can truly create a stronger, more professional, and more powerfully united mission for all of us. So just to recap the 12 tips every wildlife educator should know. Number one, make a lesson plan. Number two, know your audience. Number three, pick a teaching style that works best for you. Number four, not everyone has the same access to nature. Number five, volunteer at your local nature center. Number six, be sure your selected animal ambassador is fit for education. Number seven, Make sure your animal is ready for its first appearance. Number eight, offer natural objects for participants to examine and touch. Number nine, a picture is worth a thousand words and maybe dollars. Number 10, ask questions. Number 11, create a system of support. Number 12, work together. If you would like more information on this topic or would like to become a member of the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Alliance, and receive exclusive continuing education content, visit our website at www.rmwalliance.org. If you would like to share this podcast, it is free and available for everyone. We also have an accompanying handout in our free resource center on our website. I'd like to thank our contributor, Deborah Sykes, from the Nashville Wildlife Conservation Center, to learn more about her organization and how she is helping low-income children, visit her at www.nashvillewildlifeconservation.org. Thank you again for joining us for our first podcast. I look forward to bringing you more educational topics very soon. Take care.